Well, good morning again. Seems like just last week I was here, another month's come and gone. You hit my nose in that, don't you, Rich? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's good to be back. We always enjoy coming here and trust the Lord. We'll bless our time together. I'd like to have you open your Bibles, if you would, to Daniel chapter 1. It's always interesting. Uh, when I visit and minister, you know, wondering what the Lord would have me speak on, I do a lot of praying about it. And sometimes it amazes me the things that uh, I end up speaking on, uh, things that I never planned on speaking on when I, when I left Michigan, but it's something the Lord lays on your heart and you feel you need to go with it. If you recall, the last time we were together, we looked at John 15 and focused on two things, uh, basically uh, the secret of spiritual living. And of course, the secret of spiritual living is to bear fruit. So we spent the morning looking at the importance of bearing fruit as a child of God. If you're not bearing fruit, you better re-examine what's taking place in your spiritual life. And then the second one, of course, what was the secret of bearing fruit? Well, it was abiding. You have to abide in the Lord and his word if you're going to bear fruit. If you're not abiding in Christ, you're not going to bear any spiritual fruit. Well, today we're going to be looking at something else that's quite practical and I trust thought-provoking and heart-convicting because I know as I go through these things, that's what happens to me. And if the Lord convicts my heart concerning these things, I have a feeling I'm not the only one in whom who has to hear these particular things. And you know, when you think of the book of Daniel, and you think of Daniel, uh, you know, the things that always pop into your head of course, is Daniel in the lion's den, and then about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, going through the fiery furnace. And, you know, we kind of put the cart before the horse because, you know, why, were, why was Daniel able to really make a decision before God and before the king to be put into the lion's den? I mean, that would be a tough choice to make. And you know, as you think of the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, of course, that was their Babylonian names, as you know, as we're going to see today. Why were they able to stand right before the king and say, we will never bow down to you, even though that fiery furnace awaits us? See, we love those grandeur stories. And they're not just stories. These are things that happened. But sometimes, like I said, we put the cart before the horse. And in Daniel chapter 1, we find out why these four men were able to live their life from beginning to end in service of the Lord. So we're going to take a moment to read through Daniel chapter 1 and then just focus in on two basic thoughts concerning these four men, and particularly Daniel himself. In Daniel chapter 1, and I'm reading from the King James Version here, in the third year of the reign of Je Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spoke unto Aspenaz, the master of the eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, 
use in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and gifted in knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach in the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's food or meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end of them they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave them unto the name unto Daniel, the name of Belteshazzar, and of Hananiah, of Shadrach, and to Mishael, uh, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's food, nor with the wine which he had drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, God had brought Daniel into favor and compassion with the eunuchs, prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who hath appointed your food or meat and your drink, for why should you see your faces worse looking than the youth who are of your age? Then shall he, ye make me endanger my head with the king. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuch has set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the youth that eat of the portion of the king's meat, and, and as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this manner, and tested them ten days. And at the end of ten days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the portion of the king's food or meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the day that the king has said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuch brought them before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king conversed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all of his realm. And Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus. Now God will bless the reading of his work. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, I think most of us probably who have studied the book of Daniel or even just read the book of Daniel know that Daniel basically means God is my judge. And I hope you understand, he's not only Daniel's judge, God is the judge of all mankind. And as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, he's our judge as well. You know, Jesus Christ, all judgment has been given to him. Now, there's just two main thoughts that, that came to mind that I want to pass on to you in light of this entire passage. The first uh, thought is found in verses 8, 11, and 12. And what we have there is Daniel's unwavering godliness. So keep that thought in mind. This is one of the thoughts we're going to focus on. You see, Daniel was only a young man at this time. Uh, many believe about 14 years of age. 
And of course, here he is as a young man of 14, refusing to defile himself. But also, throughout his life, as we know, even as an aged man at 70, he chose to go to the lion's den rather than to give up his life, long position and posture of daily prayer and faithfulness to his God. So here at 14, we see him not defiling himself, being godly, and at the age of 70, roughly, he's still a godly man. See, that enabled him to do the things that were thrust upon him. Now, the second thought is God honors those who honor him. And we have this in verses 9, 15, 17, and 20. Now, Daniel's unwavering godliness and, of course, the second thought we're going to focus on is that God honors those who honor him. Somebody has once said, throughout his entire life, his, referring to Daniel, his faith remains simple, his heart humble, his character unblemished, and his godliness supreme. End of quote. And those four little phrases spoke to me. Throughout his entire life, he remained simple. You know, we look at the word simple and think of, oh, I wouldn't want to be simple. But you know, there's a simplicity in Christ that we should never lose sight of. Our faith should remain simple, simply. And our God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And his heart humble. Pride, we know, cometh before the fall. We all know the phrase, but unfortunately, how often we find ourselves in a prideful attitude. And when you do that, you're headed for trouble. You see, throughout his life, his heart was humble before the Lord. And his character was unblemished. That means no one could ever point a finger at him and accuse him of wrongdoing or not following what he preached. He practiced what he preached. And a lot of us are very good at sharing with others, you know, how great things the Lord has done in my life. But do they see it? Do they see it? You see, they saw it in Daniel's life. And his godliness was supreme. Is the supreme thing in your life, my life, to be godly? You know how important it is to be godly? Who indwells you as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? It's the holy God. His divine nature has been imparted to you. It's there. And people should see that holiness in your life, in my life, just as they did in Daniel's. Now, I just want to review very briefly a couple of things to set the setting here. You know, Daniel, we know, was a prophet. Now, he wasn't a prophet at the age of 14. But you see, he was a prophet. But here, along with his three friends, he found, they found themselves a part of the fulfillment of an earlier prophecy by the prophet Isaiah. Now, they were at the beginning of this prophecy, which had taken place about two years earlier. 
And the prophecy was this, and I'm just reading now Isaiah 39, 6 and 7. Isaiah prophesied, And of the sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Isaiah prophesied that. And two years later, here we are in the beginning of that prophecy. Now, what's interesting, as we look at the passage that we read, in verse 1, we have the word Jerusalem. Why do I want to bring you that, or that word before you? Well, because we know Jerusalem was the city of privilege. You know, Jerusalem contained the temple where God's glory dwelt. And, of course, the people who lived in Jerusalem had the inspired word of God. They had heard the prophets. And yet, what do, we, what do we read in verse 1 about Jerusalem? It had fallen. It was besieged and taken. Well, why? Well, I think, simply speaking, they had forgotten that along with privilege comes responsibility. Well, they were a blessed people. God's presence was in them, with them. They had the words of the prophets. God's word. None of the other nations had that. Were they privileged people? Oh, yes, they were. But see, they forgot something you and I often forget. That with privilege comes responsibility. And I mentioned this before, I'm sure. I've been coming here 20 years now. <laughs> but you know, we have a rich heritage spiritually. I was taught well as a youngster. And almost all of you were taught very well as even as a very young person. The truth of God's word. Was that a privilege? Oh, yes, my brother and I and some of our old friends from back then, we talk about what a privilege we had. How blessed we were. What a heritage was ours to be raised under the sound of the truth of the word of God. From the time we were infants on. But, you know, the greater the privilege the greater the responsibility. Do you understand that? You see, that's what Jerusalem and the people who lived there had forgotten. And as a result, they had fallen. See, they had failed to honor God. Now, how did they fail to honor God? Well, they neglected and disobeyed the word of God. <laughs> Sound familiar? What do you do with the Word of God? How important it is to it is it to you? Do you really believe it's God's Word? That's truth. Well, do you obey it? Do you disobey it? Do you pick and choose what you're going to obey and what you're going to disobey? You know they had dishonored the Lord by not responding and obeying His Word. 
They persecuted the very prophets of God who shared God's word with them. You see, they failed to live up to their responsibilities of God's covenant with them, which is back in Deuteronomy chapters 28, 29, and 30. Go back when you have time this afternoon and just read through those. Marvelous covenant that God made with them, but they didn't live up to it. And you see, what a lesson there is for us in all of this. You see, we have to understand, too, that obedience to God's word is going to bring blessing into our lives. But disobedience to God brings discipline and judgment. And that's where we find these young men today. Now, I just want to focus one other thing before we look at these two thoughts. See, even though Jerusalem, Israel as a whole, had fallen, had been dishonoring the Lord, not everybody, here we find that Daniel and his three friends were witness to the fact that God always has his small remnant who are faithful to him. You know, we're living in a day and age where Christianity is really almost a joke around the world. And the main reason is no one lives what they say and profess to believe. And yet, praise God, there is a small remnant and I trust you and I are one of them, are part of that small remnant who will continue to remain faithful to God's word, even though the majority today no longer are. Now, with these few thoughts behind us, let's move on briefly to the two thoughts that are before us, because we have limited time here. God's unwavering, or Daniel's unwavering godliness. So in verse 8, Look at it carefully. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. I just want to concentrate on that phrase for a moment. The first word I want to concentrate on is purposed. Daniel purposed. Okay? Well, other words I could be used as synonyms here would be resolved, determined, made a choice. He made a choice. He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself or remain godly. The second word is heart. Daniel purposed, determined, made a choice in his heart. Now we know in heart, the heart in scripture is not this organ that pumps our blood. It really is the whole person with all their attributes. It's what I am physically, intellectually, emotionally. And of course, it governs such things and actions such as character, personality, will, mind. These are all terms that are, are reflecting something of the meaning of heart in Scripture. It's our total being. Daniel purpose, determined, chose in his entire being not to be defiled. You know, it's interesting, in Deuteronomy 10, 12, Mark, and Mark quotes this in chapter 12, verse 30. We are to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, strength. In other words, our entire being. The third word. Yes, Daniel purposed, chose, 
determined in his own heart to do what? Be godly. Be godly. Not defile himself. Can very easily be rendered to be godly. What is godliness anyway? Well, the simple phrase we often use is, well, it's godlikeness. But I came across another little phrase, and I thought, well, this is very simply stated. I, I like things that are simply stated. Godliness is a reverence towards God demonstrated by obedience to God and his word. Now, let's just focus on that very quickly. Godliness is a reverence. That's an attitude. Attitude is everything. You've heard me to say, that, say that before. It is. His attitude towards God was demonstrated, that's actions, by obedience to God and his word. That's what godliness is. And examine your own life. Do you have a reverence towards God that's demonstrated by your obedience to God and his word? Well, here's a 14-year-old young man who purposed... <laughs> in his entire being, to be godly. And God to him was the Lord God, Jehovah. Okay? Now, as you look at verse 8, as I mentioned, he's a young man. His total heart is focused to obey God and his word. And that tells me something about Daniel. It is evident he knew God's word at the age of 14. He knew it. And of course, God's word, you know, was basically what the prophets taught. He knew it. Well, how did he know it? Well, because he was well taught. And you know, most of us have been pretty well taught the truth of God's word. You know, to be taught, you have to listen to God's word with a view of obeying it. You know, I say it's easy to sit out there and just listen. And you can leave and say, well, boy, that was a good message, or I didn't care for that message, whichever the case might be. But my challenge to you is, again, as you sit here this morning, you are to listen to God's word with a view of obeying it. Okay? That's how he learned now, of course, what he learned were the requirements of the Mosaic Law. And, of course, specifically here, he knew that the king's meat would not conform to the requirements of the Mosaic Law, God's law. He knew that. And the basic issue here before us is, see, doubtless, the food, and really the word food is really meat is the best definition or rendering there, had been offered to idols. And that was the Babylonian custom. All the meat they ate was offered to their idols before they ate it. And of course, the Mosaic law did allow to eat meat. There's nothing wrong with meat itself. Now, they could eat the meat of clean animals. Now, maybe some of the animals that the meat the king was served would be from unclean animals. But that really isn't the issue here. The basic issue is this meat had been offered to idols. And of course, by refusing to eat the king's meat, which had been offered to idols, Daniel was showing 
his refusal to acknowledge any other God than the only living and true God, the Lord God Jehovah. You see, had he eaten of the king's meat that had been offered to idols, he would be trained the only living and true God, the Lord God Jehovah. And as I thought about that, it's like the Lord is saying, Bob, do you understand that by obeying God's word, that you are acknowledging there is no other God in your life except the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Lord God Jehovah, come in the flesh? I'm to obey God's word. That's how I show that the only true and living God for me is the Lord Jesus Christ, who's revealed in God's word as my Lord and Savior. Now, the second thing here, we see in Daniel's unwavering godliness something that is extremely important and was carried out through his entire life. And I hope we get the first thought that's brought before us here. But now we move on to the second thought. And the second thought is, how did God respond to Daniel's unwavering godliness? Well, it's 1 Samuel 2, verse, verse 30. We read this. God honors those who honor him. God honors those who honor him. And that's the second thing we're going to be focusing on here. In Psalm 15:4, we read, The Lord honoreth them that reverence his name. The Lord honors those who live in awe of him. Psalm 29:2, Give unto the Lord the glory or honor due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness or godliness. Now, we came together this morning to worship. Well, it was only true worship if it was in godliness. You see, how again did Daniel and his three friends honor the Lord? By obeying God's word. And in so doing, they worshiped him. We know what we read in scripture, to obey is better than sacrifice or worship. In fact, the greatest form of worship is what? Obedience. Now, we obeyed the Lord in coming to his table this morning. And as I've also mentioned before, I hope that's not the only reason you came. And it was obvious it wasn't. We came because we love him. But we do come in obedience to him. And, you know, to obey him is more than just for one hour on a Sunday morning. Every day of our lives, 24-7, I can worship the Lord by simply obeying him and his word. That's what true worship really is. Now, let's get down to how God honored them. And I would suggest three ways here. The first is found in verse 9. Now God, 
And underline now God. If you don't like to work and rub it or mark in your Bibles, mark it in your heads. Now God had brought Daniel in favor and compassion with the prince of the eunuchs. Sounds like a simple little statement, doesn't it? Well, the prince of the eunuchs was Melzar. He was the one in charge of training the young men that the king chose to serve him. <laughs> and you know, think about being Melzar for a moment. You have just been instructed by the king, this is what you are going to feed these men that I have picked to serve me. And you're responsible to make sure they are the fittest, wisest, best, because they're going to serve me. And now Daniel and his three friends come to you and say, I don't want to eat the food, the king says. I want us to be able to eat this. And I want you to go and get permission to do that. Now think about it. Here's these slaves asking to disobey what the king said and do what they asked. Would you have really done that? Think about it. Because, you know, the Melzar says in verse 12, you know, what you're asking me to do I could lose my head if I present you before the king and you're not as fit as the rest because I disobeyed his commands. Why in the world would Melzar agree to this? Well, because God honors those who honor him. You see, and it tells us point blank God had brought Daniel in favor and his three friends. God put in the mind of Melzar, allow them to do what they're asking to do. That's how he honored them the first time. Melzar didn't have to do that. Humanly speaking, why would he? But God intervened. See, they honored God, and he honors those who honor him. Now, the next thing he did to honor him is, them is in verse 15. And at the end of 10 days, their countenance appeared fairer and fatter. And that word fatter doesn't really mean the word fat as we think today in relationship to Peter. They were just really, you know, more outstanding in their overall appearance than the other people who ate the king's food. Now, I have a question for you. Was it the food itself that caused this? Well, highly unlikely. Now, why do I say that? Well, not because of my genius. If you go to 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 through 7, and we're not going to take time to read that, but make note of it again. You should get home and check it. 
I'm just going to briefly summarize it for you. In that little passage, it says here that false teachers were saying that unmarried people and those who didn't eat meat were more spiritual than those who were married and who ate meat. Okay, that's what was being taught then. You see, false teaching isn't anything new. And, of course, Paul told them to refuse to listen to these godless myths and legends because they were not supported by Scripture and contradicted God's word. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 15 and 11, it is not what goes into a mouth that defiles a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth the man. So, it, it wasn't what the, the food itself that did this. In verse 18, those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth, and this is the Lord continuing, come from the heart, the total being. See, what really reveals what you are like is what comes out. Oh, it's not what goes in. It's what comes out. Well, I'd have to say, you know, in defense of something here, I guess, you know, what we eat and how we eat may have a positive or negative effect upon our physical bodies. I think we are all aware of that. I had a nasty demonstration of that Thursday night. Uh, went out to eat and something didn't agree, and man, I paid the price. And we all understand it is important to eat properly and things from the physical perspective. But you know, from a spiritual perspective, it has no bearing whatsoever. Now, Daniel and his friends prospered physically. Why in 10 days did they look better? Far better, even to the point where Melzar says, from this point on, everybody's going to eat what these four have eaten. Well, it's because God honors those who honor him. I hope you're getting the message. It's not just what we're talking about here in this little example. It's the basic thought that's being presented. Daniel and his friends live godly before the Lord in spite of the circumstances. And because of that, God is seen honoring them. You see, he honored them for obeying the Mosaic law, which was his word at that time, that God had given and they were under, not eating anything offered to idols. Well, that leads us to the third blessing in verses 17 and 20. So let's read those a moment. Oh, I'm looking at that clock back there. That's not even moving. Okay. I thought, this is strange. That's the preacher's dream, you know. <laughs> well, unfortunately, I guess the Lord directed my eye over here. I just happened to see that. We're going to be okay. But anyway, in verses 17 and 20, and as for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom, 
And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Verse 20. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers, let alone the other young men that were picked, that were in all his realm. So here what we see is this third one here. God gave them knowledge and wisdom ten times greater than all the young men and all those in Babylon that practice the occult. Now, I have a question again for you. Was this because they had greater intellectual capacity than all the others? Uh, a greater desire to learn than all the others? They had better study and work habits than all the others? Well, again, I'm going to say unlikely. Now, intellectual capacity, desire to learn, work, study ethics. You know, as a former teacher and counselor in high school, I know that there are differences of the above in this world. You know, I've worked with literally thousands of students in the years that I was an educator. And I can tell you, there was a difference in intellectual capacity amongst those I worked with. And I worked with some that had different desires to learn than others. And I had many who had better work and study habits than others. But you know, as you think about those things, and I know they have an effect upon what happened in those people's lives. Now, as you sit out there, I know there are some of you who have higher intellectual capacities than others. Well, don't puff your chest out, because, see, that's one thing you have no control over. <laughs> you know, your intellectual capacity is what you were born with and what God gave you. There's nothing, you know, you can take no pride in that. The other, though, desire to learn, well, that's a choice. And what kind of work and study habits you have, that's a choice. But you see, when you look at this particular thing, go back to verses 3 and 4. We read something here. That all these young men who were chosen, notice what it says. And the king spoke unto Asphanes, the master of the Zunian, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and the king's seed, or his people, young people, and the princes, youths in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and gifted in knowledge and understanding science and such it had ability to, in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. In other words, every one of these young men were the cream of the crop. They all had high intellectual capacity. They all had good desire to learn. They all had good work and study habits. And they had something else. And that was motivation. Because you see, if you didn't give it your best for the king, 
Well, for the slaves, the best alternative would have been for these four, maybe out making mud brick out of straw. I don't know. It wouldn't be, be in the king's palace. For those who were of his own seed, and probably even the slaves, it could have meant their head would have been cut off. You know, it's easy to be motivated. <laughs> if what's motivating you is important. So you say, it wasn't because these four young men were superior in any way or form to all the other young men that were picked. Well, then why were they 10 times, think about it, 10 times wiser, more intelligent than all the rest, even the great men of philosophy in, of, of the false religions? Because God honors those who honor him. Are you getting the message? It's a simple message. These are young men, 14, 15, 16 years of age, roughly, who purposed in their heart to live godly, knowing that God honors those who honor him. So what do we learn from this? Well, that we as Daniel should purpose and determine in our hearts to live godly before our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the Lord God, Jehovah of the Old Testament. You see, the Lord will bless those who honor him. May we never forget this lesson. You know, and how do we do this? Well, there's so many passages we can look at. Of course, Romans 12, 1 and 2 comes to mind. Present, yield your body. That means every member of it. As a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Holy and acceptable unto God. Which is just reasonable. Don't become conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? You know, there's a real lesson for us here. Yes, we can see now why Daniel, at the age of 70, was still strong in the Lord and was not going to defile the Lord again here. He didn't do it when he was 14. Why would he do it now when he's 70, when he saw how God honored them for honoring him? Do you imagine how Daniel began to grow and how these young men began to grow in the grace and the knowledge of their God as they lived in obedience to him? And you think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as we call them there. Why were they able to face that fiery furnace? It's because for all these years, they had found God honors those who honor him. They weren't willing to defile themselves when they were young, and that continued. You see, every time you obey the Lord and see his blessing in your life, what does it do? It enables your faith to grow, become stronger in the Lord. It's not that your faith gets any better. Our faith isn't worth mentioning. 
is where we place that faith. See, the more you put the Lord to the test, and I don't mean presumptuously, the Lord has given us great and precious promises. Hey, put them to the test. And you will find, if you have your faith and trust in the Lord, and live in obedience to his word, and live godly in Christ Jesus, he will bless you. And the more he blesses you, the more you grow in the grace and the knowledge and your faith in him. And I trust that as those of us, we have young people here, middle-aged and older. Boy, I hope there's growth been going on all these years and some of you older folks. You know, I look back in my own life, I was saved at the age of 11. Well, I'm 74 now. And I can honestly say, I have had little faith when I was saved. It's all it took to be saved, you know. Just faith in his atoning work. And I claim that. But I have seen him work in my life. Well, I haven't arrived. Don't get me wrong. I have a long way to go. But I can see how living in obedience to God and his word has enabled me to grow spiritually. And I thank the Lord for that. It's all his work, you know. But I understand to a degree God honors those who honor him. So this morning, I trust we've learned the two thoughts that come before us here. Determine in your heart to live godly. Because if you do, God will honor you for honoring him in living in obedience to him and his word. May it be so in our lives. Shall we pray? Our gracious God and dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the holiness of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We understand that your love is great, your mercy is great, your grace is great. But everything stems from your holiness. And it's your desire that we are to be holy. You have said to each and every one of your children, Be thou holy, for the Lord, your Lord, your God, is holy. Oh, may we purpose in our hearts to live godly in Christ Jesus. And we do that by living in obedience to you and your word. And may we rejoice in the fact for the many blessings that we have received as we have done that in the past. And may we understand the importance of continuing to do that. For you desire to bless your children. But we understand that we have to be living and walking in fellowship with thee in order for that to take place. So, Lord, just help us to learn from your word today and apply it in our hearts and lives. Bless our time together now as we fellowship one with another. And bless our time this evening as well. We ask these things and give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.